0: I want to start off with the reading of the Word. I typically do something different. But I want to start off with Jeremiah chapter 7. In uh, We're going to go to verses 1 through 15 if we can. Jeremiah 7 and uh, 1 through 15. I might want to set the precedent for you to know that, you know, Jeremiah uh, was a, prophet, of course, as you well know, and he was put in a time to raise conviction upon the people of Israel. So that being said, let's read the word, and then we'll expound and go forward. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, stand in the gate of the Lord's house, And proclaim there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah, who enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings. And I will cause you to dwell in this place. Do not trust in these lying words saying the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, or walk after other gods to your hurt, then I will cause you to dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and walk after other gods whom you do not know? And then come and stand before me in this house which is called by my name and say, We are livered to do, we are delivered to do all of these abominations? Has this house which is called by my name become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, I even I have seen it, says the Lord. But go now to my place, which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first, and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. And now, because you have done all these works, says the Lord, and I spoke to you, rising up early and speaking, but you did not hear. I called you, but you did not answer. Therefore I will do to the house which is called by my name, in which you trust, and to this place which I gave to you and your fathers as I have done to Shiloh. And I will cast you out of my sight as I have cast all out of your brethren, the whole posterity of Ephraim. Bless the reading of our word, O Lord. Let your eyes and your words pour down from heaven into our hearts this morning. Father, we've come and said, Lord, examine our hearts. We want to commune with you in this service, both in the Word and by the Spirit and in the Communion Supper. And Father, therein you say, examine your heart. So Lord, we've come to do a deep examination of our hearts this morning. Knowing, Father, that we're not condemned and you've not come to condemn us. But also knowing, Father, that you ask us, Lord, to listen and hear and see the Word as you want to fine-tune us and mold us To knock off the edges, Lord, of our own egos and even spiritual arrogance. We've come to humble ourselves before you, Lord, with the reading of the Word of God and the expounding of it. So, Lord and Holy Spirit, you let each and every thing that is shared this morning be custom-tailored for each and every one of us here. We may hear the same words, but we may not receive only the same revelation do as you will with us, with your living word, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wrote to you last night, I think you received it, (laughs) because I was really seeking God uh, for this word, which caught me by surprise as the Holy Spirit was moving with me. And um, we have been taking a journey through the righteousness of God, and this fits. However, it fits in a little different way than what I had supposed would be discussed this morning. I had thought we would move on to the fruits of righteousness, and I guess the Lord wanted to make sure that we were ready to eat and receive those delicious fruits. And so he's put on our plate something else. It's not bitter. It's actually wonderful if we receive it that way. As I wrote, I said, believe it or not, religious superstition can creep into the minds of God-fearing and born-again Christians. A good thing of God can be turned into a spiritual talisman that distorts and perverts truth and righteousness. You might be surprised to learn how habits and beliefs and objects and things can be ignorantly rooted as superstitions even in the hearts of believers. Paul gave us a scripture in Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. In Ephesians 4, verse 22, it reads, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, which is in true righteousness and holiness." And so I wrote to you and I said, we surely should know, we should know, that it is not about some special, mysterious, or lucky way, that it's really only about the way, the truth, and the life. And our gospel tells us that it's not about things of faith, it's about the person of faith. Yet no one, and I say this again, no one is immune from the risk of easing into superstitious behavior. And I write that this is akin to a common trait of human nature. Superstition, I think we all agree, should have no place in our Judeo-Christian foundation and faith. Yet, we find through the reading of Scripture and the testimony of Scripture that this is not true. We find that some of the greatest people of faith had to wrestle with a superstition in their lives. I've likened it to a spiritual nerve block. It's an alien force when you allow a superstition to creep into our spirit or into our soul, and what happens is it actually prevents the fruits of righteousness and blessings from flowing from Christ who's the vine to the branches who are the believers. It impedes it. So it makes sense that we would consider this and expose it and deal with it before we want to really relish and rejoice in the fruits of righteousness. Now, let's not go backwards and retract where we're at. You have been made righteous. You cannot be made any more righteous. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Jesus you can't work at it. If you do, that's unrighteousness. But you certainly can embellish it, and it is your real identity. Everybody's been looking for purpose and identity. Your identity is that you've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are just as He is to the Father. He's one in you, you're one in Him, so we're not talking about how to make ourselves more righteous this morning. We're talking about how to make sure that we are not blocking the flows and the blessings of the fruits of his righteousness in our lives. And in so doing that in some way or another we're disgracing the glory of God. The things of the old self that Paul just spoke about, they're unwelcome. In the character of the new creation they're an intrusion so the things that we hold on to that are our old self actually oppose and contest the new things of God that he's done for us and wants to do for us so when we hold on to the old habits the old beliefs the old traditions the old lucky charms the old medals the old rituals the old traditions What happens is that we basically put a stop in the bottle. We basically say, my cup is full enough, I'm just going to keep what I have. And something happens, if you've ever seen a stagnant body of water. It's bright, and after the rain, it's fresh, and the water is is glimmering, And There's nothing on it. There's no muck. There's no mold. There's no algae. The ducks and the fowls that love the water find it and rejoice in it. The beasts of the field come to drink fresh water out of it. The fish begin to grow, but something begins to happen if you let that water get stagnant. It becomes bitter. Algae begins to cover it. The animals know better than to drink in it. The fish die, and the fowls of the air go on to a different place. So we don't want to be those stores houses of living waters that get stagnant water. Nor do we want to see something that is fed into this water that would cause it to become foul. How many of you know that dumping gray matter or suds into a pond that come from your home can foul it? How many of you know that it's a big expanse of water and it doesn't take a whole lot of foul to make that water useless? And then you have to go through a process to once again purify that water. So we want to be those who are going through a process this morning to purify the living waters. This is what the Lord has called us to. And I join you by saying, okay, Lord, if that's what I need, then let's do it because it was not on my radar screen yesterday morning. I actually worked for hours on something completely different till the Lord stopped me and gave me this word. So, is there such thing as a superstitious Christian? I was thinking about recently, you know, I take Ubers sometimes when I have to go to other places, other cities. It's easier than renting a car. Many times less money. And they get me where I need to go and get me back. And I'm a fast traveler. I go and I get back. I'm not interested in the sights. I'm not interested in finding good restaurants. I'm not interested in in the social aspect of, of a mission or a visit. I go to do what he sent me to do. I want to get there and I want to get out. And interestingly enough, when I... I end up testifying and ministering to everybody that drives me. Everybody. One way or another, I get into their mind and into their heart. might take a little while. Sometimes it takes a $10 tip, but you will get into them. And I noticed that many of them have something hanging from their mirror. Some of them have a hand. How many of you have seen the hand? Some of them have rosaries. Some of them have a picture Of their mother or their father. Some of them have a rabbit's foot or a lucky charm. Some of them have something that when I ask them what it is, they say, yes, my grandmother gave that to me and it was a blessing to her and she said I should keep it with me because it would bring me good luck. And others have st christopher medals so that they can drive safely to where they're going and coming back and they won't get in a car crash and i even heard of one who said that i had my medal on my mirror but when i took it off i had a car accident it was because i took my medal off the mirror so now the medal never comes off my mirror his faith was in what is called a talisman A talisman is any ornament, any object or thing that you put a mystical power to. We as Christians say, oh, we don't believe in that, but many practice that. Many have intangible talismans, spiritual talismans, things that become beliefs and habits and rituals that are done all the time expecting the same result because something good happened at one time, so you processed in your mind, this is how I was dressed, this is what I did, this was the order of my day, this is what I prayed. Prayer can become a talisman if all it is is a ritual statement. We begin to fall into a habit and a belief system. Isn't it funny and odd as we want to watch competitions you know people that go into competitions whether it's a spelling bee or the super bowl you will find somebody there that has the habit of wearing just the right hat the same one they wore the last time and some of them turn them sideways and some up and some behind yeah or they wore the same shirt that they had on some of them wear things they shouldn't be wearing for many years People have a natural instinct in the human being to fall into habits. And the nature is to try to reason something sensible. And what it does do is it detracts us from the things of God. My father, a young lieutenant, goes off to war at 17 years old. Leaves Ray in high school. Joins the military, becomes an infantryman. And somehow in the middle of that six months in, they make an offering to those who think they could if they wanted to try and join the Army Corps of, 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 of flight, the flight Army Corps. So he did, and he made it through, and he became a young lieutenant, got his wings, and within a year, they sent him to the China-Burma Theater to fight the Japanese, and they had something there called the hump, and the hump was in the Himalayans, and it was between India and China, and it was very tall, very high, and it always had bad weather, and it was always never clear. Odd thing about those days flying airplanes, if any of you have been a pilot or know anything about a cockpit, you know, today we have so much instrumentation, the plane practically flies itself with all due respect. It's very hard not to get where you're going unless you're absolutely ignorant. It does everything for you. It calculates everything. You don't have to worry about your weight and balance. You don't have to worry about how, how much fuel have you put in. It calculates everything. You put it in and out it comes. And one of the things it does is it guides you around top things and it tells you the weather and gives you a radar screen ahead of it. And we have GPS that can fine point you within a couple feet of where you're supposed to be. They didn't have any of that. They had three basic instruments. One was your speed out of a pitot tube that if it got clogged and frozen, it didn't work. One was a compass, and the other one was your attitude that told you whether you were sideways or straight. Three instruments. No radio that would work, no radar, no beacon, no one on a tower. They would load those planes up filled with Chinese soldiers filled with uh, armaments and overloaded and those little C-42 cargo planes would tail drag up and barely make it over the top of the mountains and come down the other end, they hope in the right place under Japanese fire. They'd let their troops off and, the, and they'd let their stuff off and they'd never turn the plane off and they'd turn around and go back through it again. Almost 50% of those pilots were killed. They called it the graveyard of the Air Force, of the Army Corps. And so this young lieutenant, my father, he was alone. And you can imagine a young boy who became a man out in the jungles. And he's in India on a base, and he takes in a pet, a spider monkey. And he and the monkey become bonded. That's his pet. But they had a love-hate relationship. And that monkey would always cause mischief. The monkey would find ways to agitate him. It would steal his shoes or or a sock. One sock would be missing or it would eat one of his favorite chocolate bars that he put inside of something. It would figure out how to open it and get it because it watched him put it in there. And then when it was really mad at him, it would crawl up on his bed and make a fuss and then defecate on his bed. And he'd throw the monkey off, but he never got rid of the monkey because he and the monkey had this love-hate relationship. And one particular time early on, he was there three and a half years, 150 missions. One particular time early on, this monkey got into one of his fits on, on the bunk, this little bunk in a tent with another officer. And the monkey wouldn't settle down and he kept telling it, stop, shut up, get off my bed. And it kept crawling on his bed and scratching at him and scratching him at him, pulling his his blanket and and just wouldn't quit until he finally got up off the bed. And when he did, the monkey went close to under the bed and jumped back and shrieked. And when he moved his bunk and looked, there was a 10-foot python under his bunk. So what do you think how he revered the monkey from that day forward? The monkey became his protector. The monkey became his lucky charm. And so after that, we actually have a picture of him flying over the hump with a monkey on his back. (laughs) And it's hands on his head. And that monkey was his co-pilot. Now, the monkey couldn't fly the plane. The monkey didn't have a clue about what was going on inside or outside. It didn't know the weather. It didn't understand how high the Himalayans were. It didn't know if he was in danger or not. But that monkey became his talisman. And he flew with that monkey. Well, something strange happened. He flew 150 missions. After 50 missions, you're allowed to go home. He kept upping and upping and upping. And finally, the war was coming to a close, 150 missions. And they said, Lieutenant, go home. He said, okay, but they said, we need an airplane ferried from this base in India to a closer place where we can pick it up and move it. And from that place, we'll send you home to the United States. No problem, I'll fly the airplane. He didn't bring the monkey with him. The monkey was left in India, in the jungles. That was the only crash he had in his entire career. As he landed that airplane and was coming across the runway, for some God-unknown reason, an ambulance decides to cut a cross in front of the airplane, and he, his airplane cuts it in half. Two nurses and a doctor killed. And so then there's a hearing, and he's delayed coming home, and after that, they found no fault of him and sent him home highly decorated, several distinguished crosses. Was it the monkey? He wondered as he told me the story. And yet, he was a strong man, especially in his latter years of faith. He believed in God. He loved the book, God is my co-pilot, even though the monkey was his copilot. We have talismans that come into our hearts and our lives. And that's a very, very stark one, I assure you. But these talismans... They can be objects, or they can be ways of life. They can be things that we think, things that we do, habits that we do. And this human tendency towards superstition is extremely strong. It's part of the old man nature, but of all the things that seems to linger and hang in the shadows of born-again Christians, it's superstitions they don't even Realize. Sometimes it's handed down from parents in family cultures. Well, this is what my family culture did, so this is what we do. And it's expecting a good result because you're being obedient to a ritual and a superstition. It becomes a mindset. And once it becomes a mindset, it finds to become a thorn in our hearts. So, we, human beings, we tend to attribute this talisman-like power to objects, to animals, to people, to things, to habits, to rituals, or beliefs. I'd love to tell you we're immune, but we are not. And maybe through this morning, you'll be able to do some diagnostics in your own life to determine if you're holding on to a superstitious pious talisman superstitious you know pious it's a false humility it's one that says this is religious this is something god would have me do so i'm going to do it you know and i have to say it because it's a fact <laughs> i i came to the lord and i had been attending two temples, and in both temples, and especially the Orthodox, we would attend wearing our kippah, and also coming forward with our prayer shawls. My prayer shawl had tzitzit on it, and the tzitzit we would hold and pray with. And when the rabbi came with the Torah, he would pick the Torah up, but he would come across through the aisle, and Rodef Shalom was cut in half and it was like this and you would come from your seat to try and touch the Torah if you were somebody who had a better seat, which cost you more money, then you could touch the Torah easier than somebody over here. And I could just never really get to that Torah without knocking over a couple old people. They would touch the Torah, kiss it. And then of course, how many of you know that there's Typically, Masuza on the side of doorposts, and and there would be a scroll, supposedly all of the Torah in it, but it's usually this big. You would kiss it as you come through on your doorposts. Some people put it on their front door, some on every door of the house. Sometimes you see it on office buildings when you go to a place where there's a Jew. They kiss the Torah word, the object, but not the God of the object. Now we say, well, I know, but I'm not like that. I know once I did something that since then I've repented of, but I'm not going to do it again because for two reasons. One, I don't need to, and the other one is it it ripped the cover off my Bible. But once I threw my Bible, and I said, this is an object. The living Word is the God Almighty above it. Don't worship this object. Worship the Lord, and I threw it down, and there was one older fellow in there he was about 90 he almost had a heart attack i watched his face like this and then bless his heart very feebly he got up walked to it picked it up dusted it off and handed it back to me i said oh lord i hurt that man i offended him but the truth of the matter is your bible is only holy if the god of your bible is holy having a bible on the table in your home isn't going to release the Word of God over your house. (laughs) Having a Bible on your desk in your office isn't going to release the Word of God. Now I know when I first was called of God and, and He made this strange way to this strange man I had never seen before in my life, didn't know, didn't really like, didn't respect... And now he's our president. I gave him a Bible. And I wrote something in the Bible. I also gave one to his son. And I wrote a prayer in there. And I said, if you will read this, it was in Isaiah, in your times of stress, this will help you. Well, I was back there in his offices two weeks later. And I asked his secretary, hey, is my Bible still there? She goes, go down two stories. Look in there. I went down two stories from the top floor where his office was. And in this room, a huge room as big as our fellowship area, was filled up with Bibles. Everybody was giving him Bibles. What good did it do? Doesn't do anything. And then we find rituals in our prayers. Huh? The same prayer every morning at the same time. It's good to have devotions, but if the devotions, if you think the devotions increase your righteousness with God, then it becomes a talisman. I'm not saying don't do it, and I'm not even saying it's bad theology. I'm going to deal with this in a moment. I am just being used of the Lord to tear our hearts open right now and to really look at ourselves and not to allow anything to creep in that would stop the real truth and worship of God. He says the day's coming. You're going to worship me in spirit, in truth. A superstitious taliman can be a spirit, but it's the wrong one. So we want to make sure that we're not deforming the things of God that He gives us and conforming them into some kind of a habit or ritual that we think is going to get us a result because of Our works because of what we do, or how we do it, or when we do it. Challenge you a little bit. Put a little variety and spice in your life. Change up the times. See if you still feel good about it. Change up the ways and the methods. See if you still feel good about it. Put a little spontaneity in you. Put a little variety in it. See what happens. So this, there was a time when I first came to the Lord, and even prior to knowing Christ, knowing the Messiah, certainly before accepting Him, I was in communication with God, the Father. And I know it was Christ, but I didn't know it then. I was in communication with the Father. And we were talking. Believe it or not, that people that don't know Jesus Christ can still talk with God. Hello? Uh Uh-huh. We've got to let go of some arrogance, beloved. God will speak to anybody and anything that he wants to in a language they will hear. And so he and I were in communion for quite a long time and led me to Christ. And one of the things I would do is I would ask him to show me something and Sure enough, as I went through Torah and the prophets, I would open the Bible, which you would call the Bible, I would open the Torah or the book of the prophets, and there it was. There was a word, and I'd get that word, and I'd say, okay, that's your word to me. I had this inerrant faith in the Word of God without knowing He was the Word. And even my rabbis didn't have that same faith. They would try to tell me reasons why we didn't need to do sacrifices, reasons why the laws have been changed, reasons why we weren't keeping the laws. They were giving me all kinds of reasons that contradicted the word, and that's what caused me to become stubborn and to challenge them and led me to Christ because I would not accept the reasoning of the word. But one thing that was leading me is I'd open that tore up and there'd be a word and it would jump off at me and it would say to me to go do this and to go do that and I'd go do it and there'd be some results and God would speak to me about it I would ask him as I read the fowls in Genesis he created the fowls of the earth I would say Lord are are these fowls still attuned to you and as soon as I did a bird would land right in front of me and go beep 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 controlled, told me in Psalms that he controlled the skies. Psalms 19, the heavens declare his glory and his fingers, the firmament therein. And so I would say to me, show me something in the skies. And there enough, there'd be a sign in the sky or a shooting star. Something would happen. It became my talisman. And then once I found Jesus and I learned about Jesus, I didn't quit. But now I had this whole Bible. And I would go, "Mm," and boom, I'd open the Bible, and I'd read it, and there'd be a word, and I'd do it. And and it had results. Some of it had results. It said, if you lack a gift, ask me, and I'll give it to you. Well, I want to heal people. Go to the park, start praying for people that are sick. They start getting healed. Go to nursing homes, go to hospitals, people that I didn't know. That's the one that got me in trouble with raising the dead could raise the dead I went into the funeral home the poor guy didn't raise but I still was pulling that that Bible and I then heard a message from somebody about a year into that that they said don't turn your Bible into a voodoo Bible it's not a Ouija board and I thought that was for me but it had become my talisman yes it was my word and theologically it was growing me but it had become my talisman because I was looking every day for that same mystical leading by just opening the scripture putting my finger down and saying this is my guide for today the Lord met me in it for a while and then he let me go how many of us have developed spiritual habits that the Lord met us in but maybe we ought to let go now maybe they don't have the same credence I know some people think I'm harsh when I coin a word and 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 say we need to go beyond Pentecostalism because I find that the hardest people to stretch the belief system with, to, to be able to journey and find new revelation with are mature, fat, seasoned, stubborn Pentecostals. They don't want to move, they don't want to change. God forbid you challenge something that came through their denomination. They tell you you're a heretic. That means Jesus was quite a heretic. Certainly Jeremiah. That means that we can get so embedded in the ritualism, the tradition, and belief systems that we can't even justify in the Word of God that we don't want to let Him go at the sake of... Of being able to grow into something new, and it becomes like a superstition. I'm not saying that God's going to judge it against people, and that they're not going to—they're not walking in the righteousness of God. God's righteousness is grace and mercy; is far greater than our faults. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I know I take great solace in that. However, if we're supposed to be trying to apprehend as Paul said that which we've already apprehended has been apprehended for us then sometimes we got to let go of some things because we can't get higher you know going back to the example of those pilots those brave pilots that flew the hump you need to understand something those were aspirated engines they 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 weren't jet engines so, the highest they could get before the oxygen will begin to knock them down was 10, 11, 12,000 feet. And they didn't breathe oxygen either up there. They just hung on. They didn't have heat in the airplane, it was cold. You lose two or three degrees for every thousand feet you go up. It gets cold, it gets wet. And in order to get that plane across, they tried to do a little mathematics that said i have this much power i can take on this much fuel i'm not going to take on more than 15 minutes worth of fuel that i have because it's too much weight on a couple hour flight allows you no room for changing and it's ballast i'm going to put this much in this much weight and i should be able to get up over 11,200 feet so i don't hit a mountain peak or it would hold them down I think one of our talismans, our spiritual talismans, our superstitious, pious talismans that we walk with as Christians is sometimes we have too much spiritual weight. Don't get me wrong. I know. Frank's a heretic. I've heard it a lot of times. Don't get me wrong. The kabod, the glory of God, comes from a word that means weight and heavy. But something about the glory of God, the more of the glory that you operate in, the lighter the atmosphere is the spiritual atmosphere of the glory is light sometimes we have too much baggage sometimes we're chasing too many rituals how about the glory fest meetings i don't hear about them as often as i did but they were there let's go soak in the glory we're going to go to that meeting and the angel dust is going to flow and some people are going to get gold teeth and we're going to soak in that Glory Fest meeting. And if I'm there and and so-and-so is there and we're there, then it's going to happen. And if you do it the same way we did it and take it to this city, the same result's going to happen. I see Pastor Dave nodded his head and laughing. The same result's going to happen there as you did it here. I'm going to go here and pick up the fire here and I'm going to bring the fire there but I'm going to do it exactly like they did it. And then we go through this decompression after a revival. Tell us everything you did. And people write books about it and they make a formula. And my God, thousands of churches try to do it the same way and revival doesn't happen because it becomes a superstitious talisman. It becomes a ritual and a formula. It supplants the real Christian belief system with a system that is disjointed and dysfunctional. And we try to put human reason into it. Why? Because by human nature, we're superstitious. We don't even want to admit it. There was one theologian, and he said, well, I don't like to admit I'm superstitious. I do have to admit I have some stitches." You're supposed to laugh. <laughs> Dom. laugh a little bit. You could do it. I'm not admitting I'm superstitious, but I do have some stitious. How many of you might be able to say, you know what, if I'm being honest, I'm not superstitious, but I got a little stitious. Huh? Huh? How many of you have a ritual of how you get out of bed? If you don't get out of bed the same way, it's a bad day. Huh? How many of you have a superstitious about your expectations in your marriages? Uh-oh. Push those buttons. Hmm? How many of us have a superstitious about our favorite piece of clothing? Hmm? I mean, like, there was a time when I was getting invited to do some special things. I had my, my one black, pinstripe suit man donnie it was looking good shoes that shoes that tie that suit proven baby i'm wearing this one was it superstitious or was it stitious was i expecting a better result that people weren't going to see my belly was starting to stick out that i got a little older i lost some hair because of the black pinstripe suit and tie that i had on Ladies, you're not stitious about anything, are you? (laughs) Of course, you men, you're all perfect. Am I pushing some buttons? I might be naming things that I'm not naming, but the Holy Spirit's bringing them to your mind. But I have good news for you. We're going to deal with them. Pious superstition is having a reverence for God a desire to fulfill religious obligations, but it's characterized by hypocrisy. Because we think that if we do it this way, we say it this way, that then we have a virtue. I don't know about you, but I got really tired of some of the church language. It was said all the time and people didn't even know what they were saying. Lord, let your glory and all your fullness fall in this place. Ooh. I'd say, no, Lord, don't do it. You kill us. (laughs) And I'd look at the person that was saying it and I'd say, you're parked in a handicapped spot outside in the church and you're not handicapped. But let your glory fall. Ooh. And I'd be praying, no, Lord, please. Hold it back. The manifestations are good enough. The glory will kill us if we're not ready. Hmm? I'm going to push some buttons, and you know what? Too bad. Pleading the blood. Where's it at in the Bible? It ain't there. You're putting something as precious as the blood of Jesus on inanimate objects. I'm pleading it on my car. You may as well have a rabbit's foot. The blood of Jesus cleansed your sins. It doesn't fix your car. The blood of Jesus paid the ultimate price for us and gives us a way to be made righteousness. The blood of Jesus isn't mystical, it's not superstitious. It's the precious blood of the Lamb of God that we fellowship with. But beloved, you've already been forgiven. Have you? You should all be saying yes. Or say, Pastor, let me pray with you right now. Have you been forgiven? What washed you clean? Was the blood of Jesus ever used for anything else than the redemption of souls? No. But... Somewhere along the line within a denomination after Azusa Street, blood of Jesus. And man, boy, you push that button with a couple denominations, you're a heretic. No, I don't claim I'm a heretic. I want to pursue holiness with God. I don't want to turn something as precious as the blood of Jesus into my superstition. I don't need to pray the blood over my bed When I'm already covered completely in the blood. The blood isn't on my bed. The blood's washed me clean. So I see some of you saying, well, but I think maybe I got a result from it once. You might have. Might have been a talisman that worked for you then. But is that really the power behind your faith? Pleading something? I don't see a lot of heads moving either way, and I'm gonna look and count how many and see if you come back next Sunday. (laughs) Talismans, spiritual talismans, we pick them up. I know I picked a bunch of them up. I came into churches, I heard so many things, I didn't know which way to turn. Good news was, I was unchurched, everything was new. I'd go back and I'd look in the word and I'd say, where's it at? Or I'd call Jeannie, I'd say, where it's at, or I'd go to one of my mentors, Gary Male, I'd say, where's it at? What's this word of God about it? And if I couldn't find it, by the grace of God, I got this will to not receive it. If I couldn't find it in that word of God, I wasn't receiving it because I found out the sting and the poison of religion coming out of being a, a, a liturgical, a Levitical, or religious Jew. It's not good. It's bad. It turns good things into bad things of God. It gives you all kind of laws and ways not to get to God instead of how to be with God. I don't want anything that doesn't allow me to get to God, and I don't want anything that gets between me and God. I don't want to create another step to have to walk on top of in hopes that somehow I'm pleasing God and releasing His grace and mercy and His love and power in my life because we already have it. And if we tell Him something different, what are we saying to Him? And what are we saying to the forces that work against us? You know who they are? The evil kingdom's real. The evil loves it when the body of Christ doesn't understand who they are and what they have and begins to place stitions before God because then he'll embellish those stitions. Or your flesh, your flesh loves superstitious, pious talismans because we want to control everything. And if we can control it with an object instead of believe it with faith, it's easier. But yet faith is easier. If we know that that's the way to go, then we don't have to get confounded with somebody's objects because objects change. Beliefs change. People change. Systems change. But the Word of God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We look for other ways, better ways. We're human. We get allured by things. We 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 get we we want to see something different and new. That's why a lot of people hop to so many churches and they never find roots. Something new here. Something new here. So they drink out of so many wells. They don't know what water they're drinking anymore. Looking for this prophetic word today when. The prophetic word is already here. Looking for a new prophetic word today that people make prophecy their talismans. I came out of a large ministry where they tried to turn me into a vending machine prophet because the things I said came true, but I didn't sit around and ask "Well, he'd give me something, I'd say it, and it came true. I prophesied what was going to happen in Israel. It happened. I prophesied before deep horizon blew up and it happened. I prophesied an earthquake in Georgia Sound and it happened because God gave it to me. But prophecy isn't something that somebody should be able to invest into and receive the desired result. But yet, we do it all the time. What's the prophet say? Do you have a word for me? Yes, Jesus is the word for you. Well, I want a word. Well, I'm probably the wrong person, but there's a lot of people that will happily prophesy over you. Thus saith the Lord, the Lord loves you. Oh, that's a good word. The Lord's gonna make a way for you. Oh, I like that word. Thus saith the Lord, the dark is turning into light. Come on. Or how about rear-view prophecies? They become talismans. We know what a rear-view prophet is. Somebody who's prophesying already what was prophesied and happened. They just do it in different words. And somebody publishes it, and everybody goes, yeah. And then a demand is put on the prophetic word. A demand to perform. Performance can become a talisman. am I pushing some buttons? I know I'm preaching to me. Thank you, Lord. If no one else is receiving it, I am. Now, I haven't come to bring a critical message to make us downtrodden. I've come with this word from the Lord to remove every chain. To allow us to be filled with the spiritual helium of His righteousness and His truth so that we can soar to the highest heights of our faith. Not looking back or down or or accounting things to our own righteousness or holding on to truths that are untruths. Or how about half-truths? Huh? Religion has a lot of half-truths. And we hear these buzzwords used all the time as people are ministering to people. If you only let go, God will go. And the poor person says, well, how do I let go? If I only let go, they go home and they're more confused and sad than they were when they came. Because now you've told them they're chained up and they don't know how to get unchained. But the words sound good. If you let go, God's going to do it. And Person's been bound up for 30 years. How am I going to let go? I don't know how to let go. That's why I came to you. (laughs) Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Any system we put in between it is one step short. I'm all for help meetings. They all have their time and place. But if that is all we're holding our faith on to, we're one step short of being free. Do what you must do. But pray and believe, God, you can go a step higher. Pray and believe, God, that there's always more revelation and truth. Pray and believe, God, that there's always more deliverance. Deliverance is the children's bread. Amen. God is delivering me all the time. Oh, some of you are saying, thank God he needs to speed it up a little faster. I'm trying to apprehend that which He's already apprehended for me. And every time I do, I've got to let something go. And you know there's something about serving that which you are called to do. You all know my story. Twelve years of serving other ministries. After I'd seen this worldwide ministry flourish. Multiple countries. Didn't have to pastor. Didn't have to counsel. The Lord sat me down. And I served some tough people. They weren't easy. They were tough. Their words weren't always encouraging. Many times, they weren't gracious. A lot of times, there wasn't gratitude. Never was there pay. The demands were put on me. Demands that stretched me and put me in a place I didn't want to go. Had me serve people that sometimes didn't want me. Language I didn't understand. Twelve years. Until I appreciated the fact that If I want to be what God's called me to be, then I need to be able to serve what God is doing. I had talismans in my life, superstitious, pious talismans that were built up upon my own pride, spiritual pride. How many of you know spiritual pride can be one of the worst talismans there is? It hurts and wounds people. Pastors that tell you you're never going to be anything. That comes from spiritual arrogance. It's a talisman. It's a heart that says, I have a greater right to control your life than God does. Who can dare tell somebody they won't be anything? Only somebody who's got a spiritual talisman embedded in arrogance and pride. Spiritual arrogance and pride is worse than the pride of human human nature because it justifies itself in everything that it does. God told me so I'm telling you. And you better listen to me cuz I heard from God. I'm the pastor. I'm the prophet. I'm the apostle. Not too many say I'm the teacher. That's the office I like the most. I love to be taught and to teach. Love it. I eat it up. Sponge. Books. 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 born Books. 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 Ask my wife. They're all over the house. They're all over my office. They're everywhere. Books. Books in my car. Books. 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 I love it. Spiritual pride. A talisman. An illusion So, I went through reading all of Jeremiah. Let me walk you through it very quickly, and then we're going to have communion. But don't please distribute the elements yet. The word that came to Jeremiah, he was dealing with the pious, superstitious religion of the people of Israel at his time. And what he was saying is that Your belief system actually, actually is destroying your faith with God. Jeremiah called out as a prophet as an early boy, correct? He came from a little town called Anatoth. Anatoth was the name of this city that was given to the children of Aaron. And it was from the tribe of Benjamin. And this town is was famous for one thing, priests. It's where the priests went. And I know uh, Cheryl Green's going to hold me to accountable for my facts, so I'm going to make sure I give them to you perfectly. These priests were all sprung out of Eli, 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 Eli the fat priest, who fell off his stool and died, who had some bad sons. It's considered that Jeremiah most likely was from the descendants of Eli because that's where they went to live. And because of corruption, a bad priest named Abiathar was cast out and sent to Anathoth, And in this place, Jeremiah brought this word of conviction. So I think he realized how bad the priestly office could be. I think he realized how bad the worship could be in the temple of God by people that had the wrong hearts. And he has this special interest and expertise about temple worship. But now let's read between the lines. How about in the Scripture where he says, one of the problems you are trusting these deceitful words. And then he tells you what they are. The temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord the temple of the Lord. You see in Jewish tradition and in scripture of Torah and in the prophets, when it's repeated three times, it's to make sure that it becomes a fundamental root. It says it's been witnessed of by God and man, three witnesses, two by men and one by God, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. He's saying that you're living in the deceit of these words, but you don't know what you're saying. Now let's talk about what was going on. The people knew that the Babylonians were coming. They knew that they were conquering the lands of Israel. They already got Judea. They were about to come to Jerusalem and they had fear. But Jeremiah was saying to them, you have a pious superstition because you think that what's gonna hold these people off from coming to you even though you're being disobedient and foul and you're in adultery and in your murder and in your robbing people and your thieves and the priests are taking the offerings for themselves like Eli did and his sons. Even though you're doing all these things, you think by saying the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, that you're safe? I plead the blood, I plead the blood, I plead the blood. It's hitting home, isn't it? temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, temple of the Lord. By the way, I'm going to steal the money out of my mother's account. She doesn't need it. She's going to die anyway. Temple of the Lord, temple of the Lord, temple of the Lord. I just heard a story this last week, a good man, generous man, He said, you know, one thing kept me out of church for a while, pastor. I said, what's that, man? He said, I was going to a church and this guy asked me for money. I gave it to him a couple times and he never paid me back. And he came to me one more time. He said, I need $500. I need it right now today, brother. I promise you I'm going to pay you back in a week. Gave him the $500 man, never paid him back. Said, I went to that church and the man had the audacity to question my walk with God. And he said, I lost my temper. I put him up against the wall and almost drilled him. I said, I wish you would (laughs) have. The temple of the Lord. Temple of the Lord. Temple of the Lord. Now, you know where they got that from? A hundred years before. Sennacherib, the Assyrian. He came up to the gates of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And he had Hezekiah all twisted in knots. Hezekiah took the gold off the temple doors to bribe him not to destroy. And then he laughed at him and he said, you think your God's going to to keep you? I've destroyed all the gods of everybody that's here. I'm coming in. I'm going to get you. And the Lord told him, stay quiet. I'm going to send them away. And the next night, the angel of the Lord destroyed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. They woke up to dead bodies. Sennacherib beat feet, went back to the city he founded in Nineveh that he had taken, and then he was killed by his own son and daughter, and they took his kingdom. So they saw that. They had an experience with God, but the king who attempted to bribe and was found faulty confessed and told his people the right things, even though he gave up the gold of the temple, dishonoring God to bribe without faith. So they said, hey, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, where the presence of the Lord is. God says, I will defend you, the temple of the Lord. Jeremiah says your hypocrisy reeks to God. And what you've done is you've displaced the righteousness of God with your own belief system and religion that's self-righteous. You don't think you need to obey You don't believe you need to be holy. You just think that you can just plug in the systems of God and do the things of God and receive the deliverance of God and God will not be manipulated and controlled. That's the whole essence of everything he said. But there's a way out. And that way out is called repentance. And the repentance he says to them, amend your ways. He's telling them you don't actually believe in the God who's resident in this sanctuary in this temple anymore. You believe in the things of the temple and the stories of the temple, but not the things of God anymore. So he says, repent and amend your ways. And if you do, the Lord will shine upon you. I've been a coach in my early life of a lot of sports. Successful coach. I used to Laugh, not really laugh. I'd smile because some of my kids, especially that came out of a different religion, a lot of my Hispanic kids, good players, great kids, love their families, hard working. They'd have the cross. And they'd kiss the cross and grab the bat. When they were struck out, I wanted to ask them, what happened? But instead I told them, You didn't pick up the rotation of the ball coming in. It was about the rotation of the ball, not kissing the cross. And then I had other ones that was, and they get drilled right in the head with a ball. And I'd tell them, you duck out like this when the ball's coming so it hits you in the back and you take one for the team. Right? I'm hitting some buttons. We have them too. We wear certain things and do certain things, and we think because we do, it makes us just so much more religious. The one thing I never could figure out, Brian, I'd go to these Messianic, I helped found a Messianic church, first one in the area, and I'd go and there'd be all these Gentiles wearing kipfas and shawls in Old Testament clothes, They call them Old Testament clothes. I don't even know if they were. I know I never wore them to the temple. (laughs) And they, they, I, I said, what's going on? Why are you doing that? Well, just to honor God. I said, man, I was so happy when I got out of all that stuff. I'm not putting it back on. I'm not dishonoring it. I'll be whatever God wants me to be. But that didn't really do anything for me. Talismans. Talismans. Spiritual talismans. Can we pass out the communion elements, please? How about tendency of groups? If you could pay attention with me a moment. One of the things that Jeremiah did in verses 5 and 6, this is important. He pointed out public sins and private sins. He said, some of you leaders, you have private sins. And some of you, he says, you have public sins. And then you come into the temple and you bring your sinful nature in with you. Well, I was thinking about that. (laughs) Now, no matter whether you're conservative or liberal, you're gonna like this one. Because the conservatives A lot want to judge private sins, and the liberals, they want to judge public sins. But guess what? It's the same three letters, sin. So he was telling the people, you're expecting to make God into a vending machine, and if you say the right thing and do the right thing at the right time, then God has to do this. Let God be true and every man a liar. But he says, deal with your public sins and deal with your private sins. Deal with your life outside of the church and deal with your life with yourself. Deal with how you treat people. I feel the spirit of God. Deal with the widower, the one who's oppressed, the stranger, the downtrodden, the addict. That one's speaking to me, because I've got a guy I'm so mad with that I've invested so much in. i got to go back to him again. I don't want to. I need to. Don't we, Jimmy? Public sins. Private sins. I told you one time, the Lord stopped me from moving in spiritual healing power in Barquisimeto, Venezuela, 1,000 pastors and leaders, no lay people, all pastors and leaders, the largest gathering of non-denominational pastors in Venezuela at the time. I was the anchor. I was the main speaker. And the Lord stopped me. He said, son, listen to me. And I turned around. I turned my back to them. I said, excuse me a minute. I'm getting a word from the Lord. And he told me I couldn't move forward anymore. That they weren't holy. That there was too much sin. He said, you need to deal with the sin because my blessings can't flow. I turned back around him and I said, I have a word of the Lord for you but you're not gonna like it but maybe you need it. And as I began to teach and preach, I called out pornography. The altar began to fill. Over 500 of them came to the altar, bound up in pornography, the secret sins. The secret sins aren't secret to God. The sins of cursing, the sins of stealing, the sins of arrogance, pride, the sins of belittling people, the sin of selfishness sin of hypocrisy. He sees it all. I'm the first one to confess, Lord, take it from me, take it all from me. I don't want it. Get it out. Expose my talismans, Father, and take them. Let the weak say, I am strong in Christ. Take away all arrogance and pride. Make it be a pure heart and return a right spirit to me. Jesus told the Pharisees and Sadducees in Matthew 23. Said you're like whitewashed tombs filled with dead man's bones. Ooh. (laughs) Let that sink in a moment. Whitewashed tombs filled with dead man's bones. You say one thing, you do something else. You bury the bones in the dark. He told the Pharisees, Corbin. You take the money from the people, just like Ellie did, and you use it for yourself. Instead of you taking care of the family and the widower and the oppressed, you take the money from the offerings of the people, and you say you're doing it, but you're using it even for your own family when you should be taking care of them. Corbin, he even saw that. That's why we pray every day, Lord, let us Good stewards of the offerings of what God's people give us. Who would want to get before Jesus and hear that word corp? Not I. Paul said, 1 Corinthians 11, he said, if you eat of this communion and your hearts aren't pure, you eat unto your own judgment. Sometimes we take that far too lightly. So examine your hearts. We've been doing that all morning now, haven't we? I feel this is a very precious communion. Never before in a service have I examined the heart the whole time for communion. God wants to do something special with you and me in this church, but you know what? If we really want to be special then we have to be special. We need to take what we get from here and take it outside of here. We need to practice it. It's not so much what we preach it's what we do. It's not so much what people say you are it's what you are and who you are. Beloved we're not taking communion to have our sins forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. They're washed by the blood. We're not taking communion to impress God. We're not taking communion as a ritual and expect that because we do, some great favor of God's going to fall upon us. We already have the favor of God. You are the righteousness of God. We enter into communion because we can. We enter into communion because through the blood, the precious blood of Jesus Christ, we've been washed clean. Our souls, our spirits, our very being is presented to him as a holy sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We take holy sacraments because they represent the Holy One, his blood and his body. He says, as often as you do, do this in remembrance of me. We do it to remember Jesus. We do it because we say we have fellowship with Him. The whole world cried out for fellowship with Him until He rose from the dead and gave His blood to the Father. The Jews cried out. The prophets cried out. The prisoners cried out in paradise. All of creation cried out. And here we are. We have fellowship with God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. We've been washed clean in the blood. You can't become any cleaner, beloved. You can't become any cleaner. But you can root out those things in our hearts and in our spirits, the thorns in our faith that try to fester the stitions that we've allowed into our very lives and everything that we do. Be gentle with yourself. God will. Allow Him to help you root them out in your life. I'd say in the last 20 hours, He's done a lot of rooting in my life. I pray it doesn't stop. Let's take the bread. sacrament of the body of Christ it's a holy sacrament, I agree I love that theology it's a holy sacrament because it is the body of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God that was broken for you and me sacrificed for us, the Lamb of God but as we take of it we don't take it in sorrow We don't take it in remorse. We don't mourn. We rejoice the risen Christ. We rejoice the one who claimed his body out of the tomb. And that new creation is now you and I. We're going to take of the body and celebrate that you're a new creation. Made righteousness in him. the blood now because of what his blood has done for us already it's washed us clean we celebrate the wine now because the fruit of the vine is the grapes and the wine we celebrate the fruits of his righteousness to come to us because we entered through the blood to whom he is we celebrate the blood because all things have been purged for us in heaven and on earth through the blood. Might I add this? You can't add or take away from the blood. You can't purge anything else better than God has purged it for you already. If you think you can, then you dispel the power of the blood. The blood. The blood of Jesus entered into the holies and sprinkled for you once and for all. Say those words once and for all. It's done, it's finished, but it's the gift that keeps on giving. Eternal life, power, righteousness, favor, holiness, acceptance, fulfillment, everything he is, healing. To believe right now that there's a spirit of reconciliation and restoration that released in worship that's continued to be released in us right now. Take a moment and receive. Take a moment and allow this moment of God. Let's hold gentlemen have a seat a second. Let God go. Thank you. Little cracks in your spirit. Little speed bumps in your mind. Tortures in your heart. Let him take them right now.